We can have peace because God, the Holy Spirit, is our personal, supernatural helper. The Holy Spirit is an exclusive helper. The world rejects him, but he helps those who love and obey Jesus. Welcome to the Manna Bible Lessons Podcast. Manna is a Bible study life group that meets at Valley Baptist Church in Bakersfield, California, every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. However, if you're listening from another part of the world, then we welcome you and we invite you to stay tuned after the lesson to hear how you can submit your prayer request to be on our prayer sheet. Thank you for joining us. And now here's Brad Hannock. Hello, students. If you'd open your Bibles to John 14, John 14. We're only going to look at two verses today, but we're going to, Lord willing, look deeply at them. The context is Jesus and his 11 remaining disciples, Judas has been dismissed, of course, are in the upper room celebrating the Passover feast. It's Thursday night of Passion Week. Uh, our Lord knows that he is going to be going to the cross on Friday morning. He'll be crucified. Judas has been dismissed to begin the betrayal process. Jesus says a very, very short number of hours left. It's his last day on earth. It's been said that last words are lasting words. We have a, we call those famous last words, some people's famous people, what they say, most of which is eminently forgettable. Jesus says a few short hours, he spends John chapter 13, 14, 15, and 16 conveying his heart to his disciples, and he gives them an enormous number of supernatural promises. This conversation, this discourse, is called the farewell discourse or the upper room discourse. It's the longest single sermon, if you will, that Jesus preached in the Gospels. They culminate in chapter 17, which is the great high priestly prayer, and that's when Jesus asks his Father, make sure that everything I've promised happens in the life of the disciples when I have left. So for three years now, it's the end of Christ's ministry. He has been everything to the disciples. They have left everything and followed him, and he has met every need they have. Now, they expected that as the promised Messiah, he would rule and reign, overthrow Rome, and set up an earthly kingdom on earth, and they still think he's going to do that. He's telling them now, I'm going to be killed, crucified, and I'm leaving and their dreams are just shattered. Their minds are blown, and they are troubled, which is a nice way of saying they're agitated, they're upset, they're worried, and they're borderline panicked because everything they thought was going to happen with Jesus the Messiah has now been crushed. So Jesus comforts them by giving them a series of promises. 13, 14, 15, 16 are all promises, some of the most magnificent in all of Scripture. Remember from last week, he tells them, you can trust me just like you trust God. Remember that heaven is your future home. I am leaving now, but I am going to come back, and I'm going to take you with me to where I am that you can live with me in heaven forever. I am the only way to the Father. And by the way, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus is God enclosed in human flesh which has been demonstrated through three years of hundreds of supernatural miracles. Even more amazingly, he promises that those 11 disciples and all his future disciples, the works that I did the last three years, you are going to do even greater works when I go to the Father. Jesus brought the gospel to the land of Israel. Jesus' disciples, you and I, bring it to the world, the entire world. And Jesus then comforts them, at the end of last week's lesson, he says, anything you pray in my name, anything you pray according to my will, my purpose, my plan, my glory, I will say yes to, which is an unbelievably comforting promise. He's making promises that are so staggering, you say, well, who do these promises apply to? They only apply to those who belong to Jesus. And the question is, how do you know if you really belong to Jesus? Verse 15, he tells us the criteria. He says, if you love me, 
you will what? You will keep my commandments. Here's the principle. Genuine believers obey Jesus because they love him above all else. Genuine believers obey Jesus because they love him above all else. So the unmistakable mark of a genuine disciple is that they have love for Jesus that is demonstrated in obedience. Just in case you think that was an accident, he repeats it four times. Verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Verse 21, he who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. Verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. Verse 24, he who does not love me does not keep my words. Do you think it's important? When Jesus repeats something four times, he's telling you it is really, really, really critical. It's an essential truth. Merely claiming allegiance to Christ does not make you a Christian. Way back early in the ministry of our Lord, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. The litmus test for those who are genuinely saved is that their love for Jesus reveals itself in obedience to God's will and God's word. Now, when you became saved, you have a new nature. The Holy Spirit gave you the life of God and that new nature is a new set of desires. Before Christ, we found pleasure in sin. I know I did. Before Christ, we hated righteousness. After Christ, we have a new nature, and our sin now brings us pain. It brings us sorrow. And obedience to Jesus brings us pleasure, when before we had the new nature, obedience to Jesus seemed like slavery. Now, Jesus' 11 disciples, they do love him. They do obey him partially. They're like us. They stumble. But they're anxious because Jesus has said, I'm going away, and where I'm going, you cannot come. So Jesus promises them another helper. Verse 16. Jesus said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever that is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. Here's the principle. We can have peace because God the Holy Spirit is our personal, supernatural helper. Let me repeat that. We can have peace because God the Holy Spirit is our personal, supernatural helper. Just start off with a question, make sure I'm talking to the right crowd. How many of you need help from time to time? Yeah, in 1965, in August, the Beatles re re opened an album, and the title of the album was Help, right? Some of you can relate to that. As we age, most of us can relate to that, right? Here's the good news. God knows we need help, and he has sent us a divine helper. Jesus, the Son of God will ask his heavenly Father to send the Holy Spirit to help people who believe in him. He's talking about the Trinity here, right? The Trinity is not three gods. That's polytheism. The Trinity is not one God with three modalities or three expressions, modalism. The Trinity is not one God, the Father, who then created the Son and the Holy Spirit. There's quite a number of cults that believe that. A biblically accurate definition of the Trinity is probably stated by Wade Grudem in his Systematically Theology. Here's the definition. God eternally exists as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and each person is fully God, and there is one God. Amen. And you say amen, and you don't understand it, and neither do I. <laughs> Trinity means tri-unity or three-in-oneness. We are talking about infinite God, and our finite brains cannot understand infinite God because we believe it because Scripture teaches it. It is a holy mystery. 
And anytime someone uses an earthly analogy to describe the Trinity, they reduce God because God is divine and our brains aren't. Many Christians know a lot about God the Father and God the Son, Jesus the Son, and they forget about the Holy Spirit. What they are doing is settling for two-thirds of God instead of all of God, right? The three persons of the Godhead. Now, in his great commission, Jesus invoked the Trinity when he commanded his disciples, Matthew 28, what did he say? Go and make disciples of all the nations and baptize them how? In the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Three persons, one God. Now, it's Thursday night right now, and Jesus, who is God in human flesh, is going to leave his disciples and go back to heaven. So we ask God the Father to send God the Holy Spirit to be their helper. Now, the Greek word for helper is parakletos. In the English, we say paraclete, paraclete. Para means alongside of, like parachurch, paramedic, right? And, and kalin means to call. So a paraclete is someone who's called alongside to help. I love the Amplified Bible translation. It says, a paraclete is, quote, one who is called to stand constantly by us, who is ready to take part in everything in which his help is needed. Now, his help is needed in everything, right? Paraclete has multiple meanings depending on the context. A paraclete is a legal advocate or a counsel for the defense, a defense attorney. It's someone who comes alongside and speaks on behalf of another as an advocate or an attorney. If you've ever been charged with a crime and you go to trial, you desperately need a defense attorney, an advocate, someone who go to the bar and plead your case. Paraclete could also mean one who consoles, a strengthener, a counselor, a supporter, an advisor, an ally. In your Bible, maybe you have the old KJV, it says comforter. Now, in the original usage, comforter did not mean a consoler. Comforter meant someone who came alongside to give strength. Fortis is strength. So when someone says, I want to comfort you, that doesn't mean pity. It means I'm here to give you strength. I'm here to give you courage. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. The paraclete is also an intercessor. A paraclete is a go-between. It's someone who intercedes for the benefit of another. One of the ways the Holy Spirit is our paraclete is the Holy Spirit helps us by praying to the Father on our behalf when we don't know what to pray for. Ever been in the situation where you simply don't know what to ask? You don't know what's wise. You don't know what is the preferred outcome. You don't know someone's desperately sick. Do you say, Lord, heal them by, by miraculously rescuing their life here on earth or heal them by taking home where they can get out of this mess entirely, right? Romans 8.26 says, in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with the groanings too deep for words, which means... The Holy Spirit of God speaks to God the Father on your behalf because he knows what's best for you. Here's the most wonderful thing about the paraclete. When God the Holy Spirit speaks to the Father, he always gets a yes. God never says no to God. Right? God the Holy Spirit speaks to the Father, he always gets a yes. It may not be what you ask for because the Holy Spirit knows what you need more than you know what you need. Now, many people mistakenly believe that the Holy Spirit is, you know, uh, the force or an impersonal power source. The Bible clearly teaches the Holy Spirit is not a force, but a person. A person is someone who has intellect, emotions, will. A person thinks, feels, acts, takes initiative. I'm going to read some verses to you, and I want you to notice how many times Jesus calls the Holy Spirit He. I'm going to give you a clue. He calls Him He 13 times 
in five verses. John 14, 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. John 16, 8. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Verse 13. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he shall take of mine and shall disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine, therefore I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. Clearly, Jesus the Son is calling the Holy Spirit a person with intellect, emotions, will, who initiates action. You say, well, how does the Holy Spirit help people? He just told you. He teaches people. The Holy Spirit causes you to remember what Jesus said. Ever been tempted by something and you get a scripture in your mind? That's the Holy Spirit dropped it in on you. The Holy Spirit convicts people of sin. No one can be saved without the Holy Spirit. He leads people to repent so they can be saved. He guides people into the truth. Sometimes you're struggling. You say, Lord, I don't know what to do. The Lord leads you. You get a phone call from a friend. You hear something on the radio. You get a Bible verse to sing a song, whatever it is. The Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus by disclosing who he is. The Holy Spirit is like a floodlight. Have you ever seen pictures at night of the U.S. Capitol? The rotunda, the big Capitol building. And it's all lit up at night. And you see it's beautiful. What don't you see? You don't see the floodlights. The floodlights are hidden. The Holy Spirit is the floodlight that shines the light on Jesus. The whole purpose of the Holy Spirit is to reveal Jesus to us. So he's like the hidden floodlight that shines the light and illuminates Christ and highlights him. The Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit is not only a person, he's God. He is a divine person. Recall the story in Acts 5. There's a man named Ananias. He attempts to deceive the apostles by claiming to give more than what the property sold for. Actually, property sold for X, and he said it was the whole thing, but he held stuff back. He lied. Peter told him he was not really lying to humanity, to me. He said, you're lying to the Holy Spirit, and you have not lied to man, but to God. The Holy Spirit is the third member of the Trinity. And recall that that instant Ananias was struck dead by God for lying. Now, I'm going to give you some character traits that Jesus tells us about the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 16. He said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. Here's the principle. The Holy Spirit is a helper similar to Jesus. Jesus said, I'm going away. I'm going to give you another helper. Now, in English, another means one more, right? Give me another, one more. In the Greek, another has more than one meaning. If it says the Greek word is alos, A-L-L-O-S, it means another of exactly the same kind. If the word is heteros, H-E-T-E-R-O-S, it means another of a different kind. Now, let's suppose you go to a fast food restaurant, your favorite fast food restaurant, whatever it is, and you order a hamburger. And it tastes awful, just awful. But you still want a hamburger, so you tell the staff, can you fix me another hamburger? You mean another hamburger that's different from this piece of garbage you're currently eating, right? <laughs> you want a hamburger that's another but different than the one you currently have. That's the word heteros, another of a different kind. However, if you really like the hamburger you ate and you want to eat two for lunch, you say, I want an alos burger. I want another burger of the exact same kind that I just ate because it was so good. Well, Jesus uses the word alos. He said, I'm going to send you another helper, a helper exactly like me, right? 
The Holy Spirit helps exactly like Jesus helps. Well, you say, how did Jesus help the disciples? Well, for three and a half years, he's fed them, he's led them, he's taught them, he's mentored them, he's revealed God to them, he's protected them, he showed them the way of salvation, he taught them to pray, he taught them God's word, he revealed the way of salvation to them, he opened Old Testament prophecy to them, he showed them who the Father was and how to get to heaven. So he has done everything for them through his divine words and his divine works. And that's exactly what the Holy Spirit does for us today, exactly what Jesus did for his disciples. John 15, 26 says, When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, divine, he will what? Testify about me, which means he will remind people about Jesus. He will highlight what Jesus did. He will minister in the name of Jesus, and he will minister with Christ's divine power. The Holy Spirit does for us today exactly what Jesus did for the disciples on earth. So we know that we have a helper exactly like Jesus. What's the second characteristic? He will give you, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may be with you, how long? Forever, right? Here's the principle. The Holy Spirit is a permanent and powerful helper. The Holy Spirit is a permanent and powerful helper. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was given with specific restrictions. It was given temporarily, not permanently, and it was given to specific individuals, not the entire fellowship, and it was given for a specific set of tasks to accomplish. Remember Samson. When you read Samson doing his physical exploits, it always says, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily on Samson, and he took a jawbone of a donkey and killed a thousand people. Or he picked up a multi-hundred-pound gate, and hauled it 28 miles, right? It's the Spirit of the Lord that came on him and gave him the supernatural strength to wage war for Israel. That was his job. But he repeatedly sinned, and the Holy Spirit withdrew from his life. He didn't know it. He was captured and enslaved by the Philistines. Exodus 31 records that the Holy Spirit came upon Bezalel. They're going to make the temple, the ta- I'm sorry, the tabernacle. They have all the articles of sacrifice, all golden vessels, and says the Spirit of God came upon Bezalel to give him divine wisdom for the specific task of building the tabernacle, the ark, the altar, and all the utensils. When Samuel anointed Saul king over Israel in 1 Samuel 10, it says the Holy Spirit came upon Saul mightily, mightily. But when he persisted in sinning, it says the Holy Spirit departed from him, and an evil spirit from the Lord began to torment him. It's important you understand who saw that. David is a young man playing the harp in Saul's court, and he sees the Holy Spirit depart from Saul and an evil spirit come on Saul. What does David say after his sin with Bathsheba in Psalm 51? He pleads with God, do not take your Holy Spirit from me, because he saw the Holy Spirit taken away from Saul. And if you read about the anointing of David, it says at 12 years old, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily at his anointing. Now, in contrast to the temporary filling of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, Jesus promised in the New Testament era, the Holy Spirit will be with you forever, for all eternity, permanently. You can grieve the Spirit, You can resist him through disobedience, but you cannot ever lose the Spirit, no matter what you do. When you belong to Jesus, the Spirit is with you forever, for all eternity. And there are several words, yeah, to give you a great deal of goodness, a great deal of comfort. There are several words to describe the Holy Spirit's relationship with a believer. Look at verse 17. At the very end, he says, you know him because he abides with you, and will be in you. Acts 1.8 says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So the Holy Spirit is with you. 
and in you and upon you. Before we could be saved, the Holy Spirit had to be with us. The Holy Spirit had to come after us. None of us can be saved without the Holy Spirit. One of uh, the Puritans' uh, favorite terms for the Holy Spirit is the hound of heaven. The hound of heaven, the bloodhound who follows the trail, who relentlessly pursues those who are to be saved. Some of you, he's pursued for years before he found you, convicted you of sin, led you to repentance. Here's why that should give you comfort. We have loved ones that are not saved. Trust me, the bloodhound of heaven is after them. And he follows them, and we think the bloodhound of heaven has lost the scent. No way. The Holy Spirit of God, once he's after someone, he will come after them and find them and save them. The hound of heaven is the one who convinces me I'm a sinner and I need to be saved. We know that, John 16, 8. Jesus says, and he, the Spirit, when he comes, will do what? Convict or convince the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. We know that without the Holy Spirit, there is no new birth. There is no salvation. Jesus is talking with Nicodemus. Nicodemus can't understand. Jesus gives him an analogy. He says, Nicodemus, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. He's talking about the new birth, the new life, the life of God given to us on the part by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the only one who has the power to give us God's divine life and cause us to be born again. At the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit permanently takes up residence in every single believer's life. Every single believer's life. Ephesians 1.13 says, In him... You also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed within him, in Christ, with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge to our inheritance. Last week we talked about the fact that heaven is your inheritance. Heaven is your future home. It's promised. How do you know that that promise will take place? Ephesians says you have a down payment by God the Father, called the Holy Spirit who came to live within you, the divine life of God and you right now operating is a down payment. If you're going to buy a house, you put a down payment. You used to, right, to demonstrate, we call it earnest money that says, yes, I'm really serious about buying this. I'm going to put some cash on the barrel head. The Greek word here is arabon. It means engagement ring. When you give your fiancé an engagement ring, that's a promise of what is to come, right? Which is the marriage. That's what is to come. That is the culmination. The Holy Spirit, yeah, you get it. The Holy Spirit is the engagement ring. He's the down payment on the future heaven relationship we have with the Lord Jesus Christ. So the Holy Spirit is with us, comes after us, convicts us of sin, calls us to turn away in sin, trust Christ for salvation. At the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit comes into us, and his job from then on is to make you like Jesus. More and more and more like Jesus. Everything in your life is engineered by the Holy Spirit to make you more like Jesus. That'll happen until you go home to heaven. Thirdly, the Holy Spirit not only is with us, the Holy Spirit not only is, comes into us, the Holy Spirit comes upon us to empower us for service and witness. Acts 1.8 says what? You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has what? Come upon you and you will be my witnesses. This is almost a picture of the overflowing life of the Holy Spirit through us to witness to others. You know, God is not a stingy God. He doesn't give you a little bit of anything. He gives you a whole lot of everything. He gives you himself. The divine power of God lives in you through the Holy Spirit. And he overflows his life in us as we serve others and witness to others. 
By the way, just so you know, Scripture does not teach a second baptism of the Holy Spirit. At the moment of salvation, all believers get all of the Holy Spirit all at once. All at once. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says, For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, the body of Christ. Whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, we were all made to drink of one Spirit. So our helper is a personal, supernatural helper. He's a helper who is similar to Jesus. He's a permanent and powerful helper. And now Jesus says the Holy Spirit is a truthful helper. He says that is the Spirit of truth. John 15, 16, 15, 26 says, When the Helper comes, whom I will send you from the Father, now he defines him, that is the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me, John 16, 3. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. So the principle is the Holy Spirit is a truthful helper. Now, that's essential because we live in a world that is filled with what? Deception, deceit, lies. The world is under the authority of Satan, who is the father of lies. Ever thought about this? Of all the gifts that God has given you, Possibly the greatest is the gift of truth. The gift of truth. In God's Word, the Bible that you have, that you can read, the Holy Spirit revealed to us what? The truth about who God is. The truth about who we are. The truth about the beginning and ending of everything. The truth about life and death. The truth about judgment and salvation. The truth about heaven and hell. The truth about who you are. The truth about your purpose on planet Earth. All of that is truth that comes from the Holy Spirit who wrote the Word of God to inform the people of God. God is the God of truth. Exodus 34, 6 says that God abounds in loving kindness and truth. Psalm 119, 142 says, Your law is truth. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the truth. John 16, 7, Jesus said, I tell you the truth. John 17, 17, the great high priestly prayer, he says, Father, your word is truth. So the God of truth sent Jesus, who himself is the truth, and Jesus is now sending the Holy Spirit of truth, who will testify to the truth about Jesus and guide followers of Jesus, you and me, into the truth. You get the picture? God is truth, and that is essential because we live in a world of lies. Pilate asks an interesting question. He says, so what is truth? Well, truth is objective reality. Truth is the way things actually are, as opposed to human opinions about the way things actually are. Truth is facts. It is not opinion. When I hear people on podcasts saying, well, that's your truth and this is my truth, I want to throw up because they are misdefining truth. Somebody says, this is your truth or my truth. They're talking about opinions about something that is subjective. They're not talking about objective reality. God the creator is truth. God the creator is ultimate reality because he is the origin of everything that exists. So you say, well, how do we access truth about God? Well, the finite mind of man is fallen. So spiritual truth about God cannot be discovered through human research alone. It must be revealed by God. It can't be discovered. It must be disclosed. That's why God gave us the Bible. The Holy Spirit communicated divine truth through human agents, 40 authors, right? who wrote exactly what God intended to be communicated to us. 1 Peter 1.20 says what? But know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. Your truth, my truth, opinions. God's Word is not a matter of human opinion. What is it? Verse 21. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by who? 
the Holy Spirit spoke from God. So the Spirit of truth uses God's Word, which is truth, to guide us into truth, a greater knowledge, a deeper relationship, a more comprehensive understanding of God and God's Word. So our helper is not only truthful, he's also exclusive, verse 17. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. Here's the principle. The Holy Spirit is an exclusive helper. The world rejects him, but he helps those who love and obey Jesus. The Holy Spirit is an exclusive helper. The world rejects him, but he helps those who love and obey Jesus. The reality is there are two kingdoms operating on planet Earth. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. The kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. Satan's kingdom operates on Earth through a system that the Bible calls the world. Now, the world system is corrupt. It's designed, organized, and governed by Satan. The world, which you run into every day when you go talk to people, is designed to oppose God's person, God's plan, and God's people. And you say, well, how does Satan motivate the world to follow him? Satan gives you three carrots to persuade you to follow him. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life, right? It's the physical, material appetites that he uses to seduce people, and the world follows those, and they reject Christ. Ever since Adam and Eve, all humans are born with that sin nature. It's in their DNA. They are born into Satan's kingdom. And the Bible calls this person a natural man. And Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 2.14, a natural man one without the Holy Spirit, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them, because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, and yet he himself is appraised by no man. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he should instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So a natural person is an unsaved person. It's one who does not have the Holy Spirit living in them. They were born in sin, like we all were, right? Under the domain of Satan. A natural man with the Holy Spirit cannot understand the Bible. They can't understand the Word of God. They can't understand the way of salvation. And they do not accept the spiritual truth about God because fallen in humans are under the influence of the God of this age. They're under the influence of Satan. And they are blinded by Satan when they refuse to believe. 2 Corinthians 4.3 says, even if our gospel is veiled, so you can't see it, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So who can open the spiritually blind eyes of unbelieving people? Only the Holy Spirit. You cannot persuade them to understand Scripture. You cannot persuade them to repent. They cannot comprehend that unless the Holy Spirit opens their eyes. Only the Holy Spirit can convince them that they're a sinner, that Jesus is their Savior, and that they need to reconcile their broken relationship with God. The Holy Spirit can open their eyes, but they still have to choose. Right? They still have to choose. Those who refuse the gospel remain blinded by the devil, and they view the gospel as nonsense, as foolishness. You have lots of friends that think the gospel is stupid. They think you're stupid because they don't think they need a Savior, because they don't think they're a sinner. Right? Who convicts them of sin? The Holy Spirit, the hound of heaven. That's why we pray and continue to pray. However, if you accept Christ and trust him to forgive your sins, then the Holy Spirit comes to live permanently in you and help you. Now, the disciples had never seen the Holy Spirit. You haven't either, physically. Jesus said the Holy Spirit's like the wind. You can't see the wind, but you can see what it does, right? 
But the Holy, the Holy Spirit had been seen by the disciples in the life of Jesus. Because at the baptism of Christ, it says the Holy Spirit came upon him fully. He was the only man who had the full Holy Spirit uh, working through him because he could accept it, and obviously sinful people don't. So the disciples had experienced the divine help of the Holy Spirit when they went out preaching and teaching. That's why Jesus said, you know him, you've seen him, you've experienced him. And once you are saved, God the Holy Spirit makes your heart his home. 1 Corinthians 13, 3, 16 says, Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? That is both humbling, intoxicating, and terrifying. It means every thought you think, the Holy Spirit's going, hmm. Everything you look at, the Holy Spirit's looking at. Everything you say, the Holy Spirit hears. All your motives, you know, when someone cuts you off in traffic or is rude and you want to take a pickaxe to the back of their head, the Holy Spirit knows all that. I know you. I mean, not because I know me, right? There's a fabulous book called My Heart, Christ's Home. And it, the thesis of it is, your heart is a home for Christ. And he walks through the, ho the, the rooms in your house the kitchen, the living room, the library, and all of a sudden, he says, does, does the Holy Spirit have access to every area of your heart, your home, or do you have locked doors? And you say, God, I don't think you want to go in there. Some of my favorite sins are in there, and I only sneak in there at midnight and play with them, you know, so I don't want you to go in there, right? And Scripture says you're a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you, which means everything in your life needs to be open and available so that the Holy Spirit can fill you because that is a command from the Almighty God. Ephesians 5.18 And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, debauchery, but what? Be filled with the Spirit. That is a command, not a suggestion. Well, when you get drunk, he didn't say don't drink. He says don't get drunk. You give control of your life to alcohol. When you're drunk, you are what? Under the influence. We give you a ticket when you're driving under the influence of alcohol, right? When you are filled with the Spirit, you give control of your life to the Spirit. Whatever fills you controls you. And we know what controls you because when we bump you, it spills out. And I've had people say, I don't know where that came from. That, well, that's not me. And I'm saying, yeah, it is you. It came out of you. I just heard it fall out of your mouth. <laughs> it's actually, that, that's what's in you. You know who, who sins that way the most? Me. I am humiliated. If I stub my toe, whatever, I'm learning just to say it in my mind and not with my mouth. It doesn't matter. It still counts, right? We have no idea what's in us until the Lord puts us in hot water. Sometimes just to hold the mirror up and say, you didn't think you need me. You need me desperately, right? Everyone is under the control of whatever they choose to fill their hearts and minds with. That's why the command is, be filled with the Spirit. Now, just so you know. You're only baptized with the Spirit once. That's called at the moment of salvation, the Spirit comes and lives in your life permanently. However, you are filled many times. Why do we need to be filled many times? Because we leak. Our heart leaks. We are prone to wander. We are prone to walk away from the Lord. We are prone to think our own thoughts. When you, when you look at a situation, you say, well, my opinion is, well, why is my opinion that important? What does the Holy Spirit have to say about that? And that's the first thing we should do. We, so you say, well, how is this filling work? Well, you, you're filled with the Spirit when you empty your life of sin. Because if you're holding on to sin, there's no room for the Spirit. You cannot be filled with the Spirit and be filled with sin. So the first way to be filled with the Spirit is confess sin. So that it can be forgiven and removed, and you make space in your life. You do that through confession and repentance. You ask then the Holy Spirit to lead and guide you and fill you. I ask the Holy Spirit to fill me multiple, multiple, multiple times a day. 
And I didn't figure it out till I was in my 50s that I needed the Holy Spirit. That's how arrogant I was, trying to do the Christian life in my own strength. It doesn't work because we don't have the power. We need divine power to live the Christian life. We absolutely need divine power. So the Holy Spirit, let me give you a word picture, is everywhere. He's omnipresent. He's present everywhere all the time. Right now in this room, there are radio waves, and they're present everywhere. But unless you have a receiver called a radio or a cell phone, you cannot perceive those invisible radio waves. So when you listen to the radio or your cell phone, whatever, you choose a particular station that broadcasts at a particular frequency, right? And you dial into that station with your receiver, then you can hear whatever is being broadcast on your favorite station. The same true is true of the Holy Spirit. When you are connected to the Spirit's wavelength through salvation, God's Word, prayer, confession, obedience, fellowship, you can hear what the Spirit has to say to you. We are not only commanded to be filled with the Spirit, we're commanded to walk by the Spirit. Galatians 5.16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Now that's a command, and it's a promise. Walk by the Spirit, what's the promise? You won't carry out the desire of the flesh. Now walk is a metaphor for live. Walk literally means stay in step with the Spirit. I want to give you a word picture. I want you to pretend that you are walking arm in arm with the Holy Spirit, right? Arm in arm. If I'm walking arm in arm with the Holy Spirit, and He's bigger than you, guess what? When He goes, I go. When He stops, I stop. If he moves right, I move right. If he jogs, I jog. If he waits, I wait. My job is what? Stay arm in arm with the Spirit. That's my only job. Many people try and tell the Holy Spirit the destination and the route. Here's news for you. The Holy Spirit's not your Uber driver. He's God. You don't guide him. He owns the universe. He guides us. We stay in step with the Spirit, and wherever He goes, we go. So when we're filled by the Spirit, and we walk by the Spirit, we're depending on and submitting ourselves to His power, His control, and His direction. If we live by our own power, we will succumb to the desires of the flesh. Period. We don't have the supernatural power to resist sin. Without supernatural power, we are slaves to sin. So the way you stay in step with the Spirit, the way you walk by the Spirit is, first of all, know what He says. How do you know what He says? He wrote it down for you and I. We can know what the Spirit has for us because He wrote it down in His Word. You can't know what He wants you to do unless you read what He says because you can't obey what you don't know. The will of God is in the Word of God. So what's the message? Feast every day on the banquet. This is a banquet. Don't just pick at it. It's not an appetizer. It's a banquet. Seven course. Gorge yourself every day on the Word of God, and you will know what the Spirit wants to lead you. And then ask. When I, I study seven days a week, and most of the time I read this, and I do not comprehend. I mean, I'm in the, we're in the Gospel of John, and on Sunday afternoon when I start studying, I read the passage, and I go, Lord, I'm a gnat on top of the Pacific Ocean. I mean, this is so big and so rich and so deep, and there's no way I can comprehend this. And the Holy Spirit says, I know that. I'm not counting on you. I'm counting on me. So ask me to open your thick, stupid mind, and I will open it, and I will teach you because I wrote it. He'll do the same for you. He lives in you, and He wrote the book, and Scripture says He'll illuminate it for you. He'll turn the spotlight on it so you will understand it. So then you can obey it, which is the whole point of understanding it, right? And when you do that, you experience life that is unimaginably wonderful. Ephesians 3.20 says what? Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. Who's the power that works within you? 
God, the Holy Spirit, lives in you. You have God living inside you. You have all the power you need and all the desire you can possibly have if we are filled with the Spirit through submission, confession, and ask the Holy Spirit to lead us so we can obey Him. So the supernatural helper is God, the Holy Spirit. And when we ask Him to fill us, surrender our problems and our plans and saturate our mind with his word, ask him to open our minds to understand it, to teach us, to guide us, and then ask for his power to obey and then choose to do that, you get ready for the greatest adventure in all of life. Okay, let's summarize, then Tom will lead us in prayer and praise. Number one, genuine believers obey Jesus because they love him above all else. For Christians, obeying Jesus is not a negative, it's the greatest joy in all of life. We obey Jesus because we want to, not because we have to. Number two, we can have peace regardless of circumstances because God the Holy Spirit is our personal, supernatural helper. The Holy Spirit is a helper similar to Jesus. The Holy Spirit is a permanent, powerful helper. The Holy Spirit is a truthful helper, leads us into truth, tells us the truth. And lastly, the Holy Spirit is an exclusive helper. The world rejects him, but he helps those who love and obey Jesus. Lord willing, we are going to be doing some more study of the Holy Spirit in the next few months. John speaks more about the Holy Spirit than any other gospel writer and most of any scripture reference period. So read ahead. Lord willing, we'll continue in John 14 next week. I love you all. Now that you know, do. Manna meets at Valley Baptist Church at 4800 Fruitvale Avenue in Bakersfield, California every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. in the choir room. We would love for you to join us. Here at Manna, we believe in doing life together. So if you're in need of prayer, submit your request to Podcast at gmail.com and our class will be happy to pray for you. Thank you for joining us today, and now that you know, do.